Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. We are in the first Sunday of a new worship series. The series is called Praying in a Crowded House. And I'm going to say more about that and about all the clutter that is surrounding Steph and me up here and on the table in a little while. But for this series, we're going to be reading Psalms each week, just Psalms. We'll either read two short ones as we are tonight or one long one divided into parts. Uh, The prayerful poetry of our ancestors in faith found in those psalms um, means that we have access to the ways people have been praying to God our creator for several thousand years. These prayerful psalms have been in use constantly by God's people for millennia, for real. And tonight we're looking at two psalms, Psalm 19, which we just did together, and then Psalm 65 that we're going to call Prayers for Awakening. Psalm 65. Praise is due you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed, O you who answer prayer. To you all flesh shall come. When deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, you forgive our transgressions. Happy are those whom you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. By your strength, you established the mountains. You are girded with might. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Those who live at earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and the evening shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the people with grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with richness. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. First, an introduction to praying in a crowded house, this worship series for Easter Tide is predicated on three assumptions. Assumption number one, we pray. I pray, you pray, we all pray. 
We don't need to be exhorted to pray more often, more regularly. Jesus assumed this always about his followers. Whenever he gave them instructions about prayer, he said that there were ways to do it better. There were ways to do it with more integrity and care. But he always said, when you pray, like they were doing it. And while a lot of us are not doing it the way our upbringing said we should, like clasping our hands and bowing our heads and reciting a certain formula before supper or bedtime or in daily devotionals to start every morning, we are doing it still. We are whispering, oh my God. When we learn of a new catastrophe in the news or at the doctor's office or from a friend, we are exclaiming, oh my God. When we learn something delightful from a friend or taste something amazing or have good sex, we are visiting a prayer wall over in a corner of the barn or on the internet to give words to the hopes and fears of all the years. We are praying people, even if we don't feel all that confident in our capacity to do it right. Assumption number two, confidence in your capacity to do it right diminishes with the deconstruction of your faith. And it does not magically reappear when you rebuild a more considered, more complex, more cautious faith. It is a great grief of many spiritual refugees I have known that the comfortable ease of prayer as an ongoing and personal conversation with the deity of the universe has disappeared and they cannot get it back. I have to think that Jesus' first disciples were going through something just like that when they asked him that time, Lord, teach us to pray. That's Luke 11, if you're keeping track. Their own faith was suffering all the aftershocks of the earthquake that was Jesus. And they wondered now, in their shaken state, how they were supposed to use the same old words to connect with God in a whole new way. Lord, teach us to pray, they said. And that's when he gave them the words that we call the Lord's Prayer. Essentially, every single week, we pray the answer Jesus gave them and us about how to pray when you are not sure how to pray. Assumption number three, one reason it is so hard to pray on the other side of your faith coming undone is that the house of prayer has accumulated a lot of junk over the years. That is to say, the practice of prayer that many of us inherited from the churches of our youth is crowded with questionable theology and littered with life experiences that contradict what we were taught to say. And it's hard to get through all that clutter to something that feels both true to you and respectful to God. Our series, Praying in a Crowded House, is built on these three assumptions, that we pray, or at least we want to, that we're not sure we're doing it right or we wish we could do it better, and that there's lots of stuff we have to clear out of the house of prayer in our very own spirits. So we're going to be working on that together for the next six weeks, starting tonight, by reading psalms, which are basically the greatest hits from our ancestors' prayers, the old ones that have stood the test of time. 
Most of the Psalms were probably set to music back in the day. It requires a lot of singing to remember all those words. We have lost the ancient tunes, but we still have the poetry. And the poems still have the power to bend us toward God and bend God toward us for this connection that we long for if we can clear some space, move out some clutter, and make some room for spirit to meet spirit in the house of prayer. That's all introductory. Now on to Psalm 65 with a dash of Psalm 19, a little Alex Blue, and the parasitic worms responsible for disco zombie snails. Maybe I should start there. I was listening to the news the other day, like I do every single day and much of the night as well. It's a pretty steady diet of catastrophe and scandal. An ominous thrum of crisis and danger. The Texas legislature is doing its thing. The Russians are bombing Ukrainian apartment complexes now. Keenan Anderson, a black man, dead after the LAPD responded to his car accident. A leopard on the loose in Dallas. What? And in the middle of it all, all that catastrophe and scandal, crisis and danger an interview with a parasitologist who is just tickled pink to be doing what he's doing on this pale blue dot. He laughs with glee when he describes the creatures he studies. Did you know, he said, did you know that some parasites actually alter the behavior of their host to get what they need? Like, there's this one, he said, it's a flatworm, leucochloridium, and what it needs is to get inside a bird to lay its eggs, but it cannot get inside the bird on its own, so it gets inside a snail because snails eat little bugs like this parasite for lunch. And so after it's been eaten, it makes its way to the snail's eye stalks, those little antenna-looking things on the snail's head. And then, Mr. Parasitologist continued, the parasite makes the snail's eye stalks dance. Kind of a wiggle, kind of a shimmy disco, and then it kind of mind controls the disco snail out into the open, all exposed-like, so a bird will see it, and a bird will eat it. And voila, the parasite will then be where it needs to be, making a nice little nest for its little parasite eggs in the belly of the bird. And later on, says Mr. Parasitologist, later on, the bird will poop out the parasite's babies, and a snail will find those little parasites and eat them up. And they will turn that snail into a disco zombie snail, and a bird will eat that disco zombie snail, and the whole weird life cycle will start all over again. Isn't that amazing, he said. Now, I don't know if it's working for you, but I gotta tell you, it was amazing. In the middle of all that crisis and catastrophe, all that scandal and danger, the leucochloridium flatworm parasite was just doing its thing, just being itself, not worried if we think it's gross, unaware that we're even watching. Gerard Manley Hopkins called it selving, 
Selves goes itself, myself it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. The parasite selves, God is glorified. The 65th Psalm is basically a prayer of praise. TLDR is simple. God is the beginning and the end of everything, and everything is amazing. A little more detail. Starting in verse 5, a long list of stuff that God has made, the stuff God maintains, and how great it is. And we're sort of invited to take a fast tour around the world like we're a big giant, like taking giant steps all around the planet. Verse 6, mighty mountains showing God's strength. Verse 7, the roaring seas and the roaring people and God shushing them both because there is something else God wants to hear. Verse 8, the gateways of the morning and the evening, the sunrise and the sunset are shouting for joy. Verses 9, 10, 11, rainfall, rainfall, rainfall. Not floods like in California, just the rainfall that makes plants grow and so much grain coming up that even the ruts in the road are sprouting with it. There are bumper crops in every direction. Every part of the landscape is cooperating in God's provision for God's people. And then in verses 12 and 13, at the very end of the song, there is a new and most curious idea. Up to now, through verse 11, God has been doing all the things. You rise and set the sun. You quiet the waves. You send the rain, etc. But at the very end, listen. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. And they shout and sing together for joy. Did you catch that? The hills, the meadows, the valleys, they're getting all dressed up. They're girding themselves, clothing themselves, decking themselves out, like getting dressed for church, like they're dancing their way into the sanctuary along with all the worshiping people. Now, if I'm a rancher, I might be thinking on some level with some little part of my brain, wait just a minute, those meadows do not clothe themselves with flocks. I was up at oh dark 30 to hustle the flocks out to that meadow and I'll be there at day's end to make sure they all get back safe. And the valleys decking themselves with grain? Do you think the farmers in the crowd might have a word to say about that? The ones who plowed the furrows, planted the seeds, weeded the weeds, scared the crows and cajoled that crop out of the dirt by the sweat of their brow and their own nightly prayers? But Psalm 65 is not really interested in your work or mine. It has located all the amazingness, all the action in the dialogue between God and God's world. God doing God's thing, God saying, let there be. And God's world responding in exactly the way it's made to do. Bountiful and beautiful, gorgeous and green and growing. And this, says the poem, is the world at worship, the world in prayer, 
bending toward God, becoming all that it is meant to be by God's presence and power. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks, the valleys deck themselves with grain, and they shout and sing together for joy. We, you and I, are only here to witness what was happening long before we got here and will keep happening long after we're gone. Psalm 19, the one we read and sang with Lance and Steph, Psalm 19 is very much like Psalm 65. There are actually a whole bunch of these among the 150 psalms, in fact. Except in Psalm 19, we actually get in there. In Psalm 19, at first, it's the sky that gets all the attention, the firmament by day and night pouring out a chorus of praise. I always imagine that stars sing opera. I don't know why. It just feels big, you know, the sky. So the heavens themselves are worshiping God with their arias. The sun is rising and setting all hot and sexy like a strong basso profundo on his wedding day, just being the sun. And by just being the sun, doing what the sun is made to do, God is praised, the psalm says, without words, without language, but just the sun being the sun and the stars being the stars and the sky being the sky. Can't you hear it? That's all they have to do. And then about halfway through Psalm 19, it turns into a poem about religious law. Did you catch the turn in the reading? Religious law, about how great and terrific and fantastic it is to have a religion that tells you pretty much exactly what to do. Which, to be honest, does not sound all that great and terrific and fantastic to our contemporary ears, I know. But within the world of the poem, it is truly wonderful that God has sort of just put it out there. You know, God has said pretty much exactly what we are meant to do so that we can be like the sun, rising and setting, doing each day exactly what we're made to do, ourselves being ourselves as God made us, exactly as God intends. The religious law to our ancestors' way of thinking was the means by which we could find our place in the gorgeous, green, growing, created order of all things. The way our existence could be prayerful praise. So when they said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, they did not mean, it's very, very likely that I'm doing this wrong, and I just hope you can accept me, O Lord, please. No, they meant something more like, here I am, locating myself within the order of your amazing creation, O Lord, doing what I am meant to do according to your instructions, being who I am meant to be, just like the sun and the stars in the sky, all for you, all of it, all of us, for your glory and praise, O Lord, and we hope you love it. It's like that song that Steph sang a minute ago. The Songbird by Alex Blue. Listen, you gotta, you gotta add that song to your 
list. That song, that song is a whole word. That song is a psalm. That song is a whole prayer all by itself. In the beginning, the poet, so worried about herself, so scared to be herself, not even sure if she herself deserves to breathe, begging forgiveness for being alive, tension prevailed in my stuttered exhale. Some of y'all know what that feels like. But in the song, she keeps hearing this bird outside her window. She doesn't even know what kind of bird it is. All this bird does is sing. It just sings. And it sings in a tree, and the leaves in the tree turn from green to red as the seasons change, exactly like they are supposed to in the fall. They'll change back to green when it's time, because that's what they do. And the pine trees all around her neighbor's house are just being pine trees exactly as they're meant to do so that it is literally a crying shame when the neighbors cut them down. And while the songbird sings and the world around her just keeps being the way it was made to be, Alex Blue figures out that that's exactly what she's supposed to do. Just be who she was made to be. Just do what she was made to do. She realizes that nothing in nature wishes to be anything else. Everything by selving is telling the glory of God. The meadows are clothing themselves with flocks. The songbird is singing its endless song. The flatworm is making a snail dance and laying its eggs in a bird's belly. Also, the life cycle can go around again. Everything doing what it was meant to do. Everything being what it was meant to be. And this is amazing. This is where we're starting then with the prayers of our ancestors. And we will call these the prayers of awakening. The prayers that only require that we notice, that we raise our eyes from the chaos of our lives and the chaos of the life of the world and notice that lots of things are going about their business, and it's working. The cedar is pollinating. Can I get an amen? The suburban coyotes are howling under the full moon. Your dog is at home waiting for you. The leaves in your yard are composting. The songbirds are a little bit confused by this warm January weather, but they are happy to greet every single morning with their song. And then, beloveds, and then there is you, remembering again that like the seas and the mountains, like the stars and the sky, you were created to be who you are to fit in this wonderful world God still loves. You are part of it. And with the meadows and the valleys and the sun, you are pouring out praise for the one who made it all just by being. Here is a prayer so simple, so plain, that you need never be without words for prayer. All you got to do is list the things in this world that are gorgeous 
and green and growing. You look to the sky and just say what you see. You listen for the song that everything is singing, an ode to joy that God's ear can hear. And you include yourself in that, the words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart, the truth of your existence, solely Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. And there's your prayer. Amen. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace. Peace.